on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the fourth edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with Brisbane Lions star Caitlin Ashmore, the captain of the Norwood Sandfell women's team, Rebecca McMahon, the AFL's development manager for the South Pacific, Ben Drew, and we preview AFLW round four with Shelby Honberg. All of that and more coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the fourth edition of season three of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. And a reminder, you can listen to the radio version of this podcast Wednesday evenings around about 6.15pm on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. Or of course, you can download the podcast anytime via iTunes or SoundCloud. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash girlsplayfooty or on Twitter. Just search for girlsplayfooty. It's simple as that. Let's jump into the first of our interviews. We're speaking to a Melbourne Uni mugger. You normally see her on the wing or at half back a few times even in the forward line including kicking that famous goal to draw the game against the St Kilda Sharks and have the first ever draw in the VFL women's competition. I speak of Caitlin Ashmore. It's great to have her on the line. Uh, she's a priority pick for the Brisbane Lions and what a start to the season they're having. Caitlin, how does it feel to be at the top of the table along with the Adelaide Crows sitting at three and zip? Yeah, it couldn't have um, worked out any, any more perfect, um, especially going in, not really having any expectations, you know, where the side was going, you know, a lot of unknowns, but um, we've surprised pretty much the whole um, footy community. So, yeah, it's going pretty good. Let's rewind back a couple of months. How does a woman from Ballarat end up in sunshiny Brisbane? Oh, I know. It's, it's honestly like a dream. So when I first talked to Craig about it, I thought, you know, like moving to... Queensland especially for AFL like that's that's just a dream and then when it um we started talking a little bit more and it became a reality like it was just like I'm saying no like it was a perfect opportunity I just finished um my uni course um so I didn't really have much you know holding me back other than obviously family and friends but you know I thought six months in the Sunshine State why not perfect coach sound like a good team so yeah I took the leap and um I couldn't like I love it best choice I've made. And how's the conversation like that come about? Did you put the phone call to Craig? Did Craig call you? How, how did that kick off about the idea of you going up to Brisbane? Oh, well, firstly, I, I messaged Craig when I found out he was coach. Um, and I just, I pretty much said congratulations. And then it just started from there. Like, he's like, oh, do you want to play for us? And like, I, like we had a laugh and like, I was like, oh, I'd probably, I'd probably move up there. And then it started, it snowballed from there. And yeah, we talked a little bit more. And then about a month or two later, I, I said yes. So, yeah. And without obviously giving away any other names, were there any other clubs putting out the feelers to you around that stage about possibly joining their list? Um, not really. Like, I had a chat with the doggies a little bit way before um, Marquees and stuff. And they said they they were looking to have me back on the list. But, yeah, I, I could not say no to Brisbane. It was perfect. Now, originally the idea was that you're going to be up in Brisbane for about six months and then come back to Melbourne to play for Melbourne Uni. Is that still the plans or is that now up in the air? Um, it's up in the air only because I'm having so much fun here. You know, the girls are great. Um, but obviously the plan is to come back, play for Melbourne Uni and then, you know, work out what's happening for there and hopefully get back with the Lions. But, yeah, it's just kind of up in the air at the moment what's going to happen. haven't really... Um, anything in stone yet 
Now, you're one of five, I'd call, imports for the Brisbane Lions. Of course, there's the Marquis, Sabrina frederick Torb who's come from WA. Jessica Ruchner, who we could say has come from, well, WA and Tasmania originally. Brittany Gibson from Tasmania. And, of course, your fellow Muggers teammate in Nicole Hildebrand, who's come up. How are you all five settling in together, being the outsiders coming in to join this almost Queensland stateside and adjusting to life up there? Um, I think we've all adjusted actually really well. So we don't really feel like outsiders or like that we've just come up for the season. Like the girls have made us feel really welcomed and we actually feel like a part of Queensland now. So um, we're all fitting in really, really well. And even with the humidity and stuff, like um, we're getting used to it. We, we feel like locals now. So, yeah, and it's good to do it, obviously, with the other girls. So, yeah. It's funny you mentioned humidity because the first game was completely opposite when you came down to Casey Fields in Melbourne to take on Melbourne. What was the feeling in that game at halftime? It was a very unusual situation. The second quarter technically ended early because you came off of, 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 out of all things, for lightning. What happened? How did Craig get control of the group, particularly when something unusual that you're not expecting to happen has happened? Um, it's really hard, like you said, because I've, like, honestly, I've never actually played in that much rain before and even, like, a bit of a storm. So I think all the girls were kind of in the same boat. Even Melbourne, I reckon, would be the same boat. So he just got us together, like, and we've just got such a good group. Like, we all just, like, bonded really well and then as well as on-field and off-field. So he pretty much said, like, you know, you just, you just got to work as a team. It's not a one-person job. We all have to get there. And then, yeah, so... He's just a great coach and the way he puts everything across, like everyone listens to him. And I think that's exactly what we needed. And I think that's what got us over the line. So, yeah. And then, of course, you had to back up for the big Frio game the week after. Uh, normally, any side would look at two games on the road as being daunting. But I guess uh, on the positive front for you, it's allowed the side to bond more closely, being away together two weeks in a row. Yeah, well, I think that's exactly that's exactly how I've been um, telling people, actually. Like, the first two away games has definitely brought us a lot closer. Um, and I think that's exactly what we needed. And even, like, Freo was so hard with the five-hour flight and then getting back after Freo and then having the six-day turnaround. I think we've done really well. And, yeah, I think we couldn't have asked for a better draw, <laughs> actually. Was it daunting for most of the girls that first home game taking on, not only Collingwood being one of the biggest clubs with supporters outside of Victoria, but that big occasion of this is the first home game in front of friends and family? Yeah, so I think a lot of the girls obviously had their family coming and um, me and Nick obviously had our Melbourne game as kind of like our first home game. So we kind of didn't feel that like what they did, but I think the girls did really well. We... Coming up to the game, we focus on what's in our, like, four walls. We don't focus on what's outside. So we did have a lot of pressure of, like, first home game. We've won the first two away. Can we do it at home? Can we do it in front of our friends and family? You know, we had a lot of expectations, and especially because um, no one gave us a chance in the first two games either. So we had that as well. But, no, we're really good at pushing everything outside the bubble, and whatever we need inside the bubble, that's what we focus on. So... Yeah, no, I think we did really well, and yeah, it was a good game. 
Uh, one thing that uh, I want to talk about is um, what gets done during the week with your training sessions. We're not talking about necessarily on the track. I remember Andrew Jago, when you're at Melbourne Uni, used to say he'd grab about 90 seconds of footage from uh, from your previous game and show you what was being done. How much uh, match analysis is being done, homework on that side now as a semi-professional footballer of seeing what you've done and now because the vision's available, having opposition analysis as well? Yeah, I think it's really good. So usually our first session back, whether um, it's Monday or Tuesday night, we have a first hour before training. We have a quick look at our, like, look at some footage and then we, um, you know, obviously talk about it, what we can work on, what we're not, or, you know, what we have done really well and that, all that sort of stuff. So that's really good and it's really good to have uh, facility, facilities that we can do that in as well. So, and then obviously before the game on the weekend, we then look at the opposition. So, at the start of the week, we kind of look at our game and then um, later on in the week, we kind of look at um, who we're versing and our opposition. One thing as well that I want to talk about is the captaincy of Emma Zilke, who particularly had an outstanding game against uh, Collingwood uh, on Saturday. Uh, her ability to leap from the front, take those big tackles and just try and drive the team forward. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, when I first moved to Queensland, just... Her professionalism, I thought as soon as like I started training with her, I knew that she would be um, in the captain role. And I think she, on the weekend, just showed why she should be captain on and off the field. Like, she's an amazing person. And, yeah, like you said, like when she took those great tackles, great mark, and then finished off with a goal, like we couldn't ask for anything more. Is that one thing you can notice as a footballer when you go into a new environment? You can spot straight away within the group, right, these are the women, these are the leadership group without even having an official title on them. You know who's taking charge? Yeah, so there's always, yeah, like when you go into a new side, there's always the girls you can tell who have that natural leader role. And yeah, Zilke definitely has that natural leader role. And for yourself personally, now that we have this, um, uh, you know, you, you now got all these coaches, we've now got all this analysis, uh, they've managed to obviously zero in, microscopic look at your game. What are they looking at specifically that they want to see you improve on? Um, so I'm kind of going through the forward role um, a lot more this um, through this AFL season. So I've been working a lot closer with Stakes. So Stakes um, and Dan Merritt, like we're lucky to have them boys. So they played AFL themselves. So... You know, they have a lot um, a lot of knowledge on the game. And, yeah, so uh, I'm just trying to work on my defensive side as well as my offensive side. So, obviously, I'm a lot better on my offensive side. So, Stakes is working hard, you know, um, on that side. So, yeah, it's good. He shows me some footage and what I should and shouldn't do. And, yeah, like, it's amazing to have that. And especially from someone with so much knowledge. Just putting on your mugger's hat for a moment, we uh, saw a photo from the um, uh, Melbourne Uni uh, Twitter account that uh, yourself uh, at Wilston Grange, there's a partnership going on between the uh, muggers and uh, the gorillas. Uh, what will that encompass? Um, it's actually really great to have, especially a club up in um, Queensland. Um, and it'll be good to, you know, like share the knowledge between and have that partnership as well. So if we do have you know, things going on in either state, we can hopefully get them down, you know, we can go up and do some things together and hopefully grow women's footy because it's, it's growing massively now, but having that partnership is going to be amazing. 
Indeed it is. If we look ahead to uh, what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, you've got another game at South Pine again. Um, maybe another 5,000-plus crowd to show up to see you uh, host GWS on Saturday. And then um, if things go as they should, but we know how crazy this season's been, um, Saturday, yeah. <laughs> Saturday, March 4th, you have got the Channel 7 Nationwide game. And what a game against the Adelaide Crows at Norwood under lights. Oh, I know. It's going to be amazing. So, especially because that's obviously our first TV Channel 7 game broadcast. But, yeah, we've just got to keep going. Obviously, they're in, like, amazing form and they're playing so well. Um, but we've got to focus on GWS first. Like, we're getting excited, but we've got to go week by week. So, it'll be a great game when we finally get there. And, um, yeah, it'll be, like, they're amazing to watch as well. So, they're definitely one to watch. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much for your time. And we certainly wish you all the very best this weekend against the GWS Giants and throughout the remainder of the AFL women's season. And hopefully we'll see you back in Melbourne in the winter, pulling on that long sleeve jumper to play for the Melbourne University Muggers in the VFL women's competition. And for those listening that want to know more about the VFL women's competition, just go to vfl.com.au. You should be able to find a fixture there, which will tell you that the season starts on Saturday, May 6th. So you've still got plenty of of time to uh, pick a side if you haven't already. Now that's Victorian football and Queensland football. Let's move across to South Australian football. You may recall in our episode last week, uh, we were talking to Tom Hurley from the Sandville about the opening weekend of the Sandville women's competition. Well, on Friday night, Norwood defeated North Adelaide in the first ever Sandville women's match and then immediately following after as part of the double header, it was Glenelg with a comfortable victory over West Adelaide. And I have the privilege of having online the captain of the inaugural Norwood women's team in Rebecca McMahon. Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. Um, how's it feeling to uh, be part of the first ever Norwood women's side and that victory in Game 1 of the Sanford women's competition? It's a bit of a surreal moment, actually. I think the girls have, have taken it all in their stride and, and really sort of soaked it up on Friday night. So it's fantastic to have so many people out supporting us and, and following the journey. Before we get into what happened on Friday night, let's talk about your footy journey. Uh, when did you first pick up the footy? Um, I picked it up pretty early. I think my dad had one just rolling around in the backyard, so I thought I'd just pick that up. And at that age, I was uh, it was a little bit heavy for me. So um, probably I'd play about six, six or seven. I was probably when I first picked up the footy first. And for many of the uh, women, particularly um, in late 20s, early 30s, they're part of the generation which didn't have the youth girl system. So what was the interruption like for you from being a kid to finally taking it up again as a woman? Yeah, look, I think um, you kind of get to a, a younger age and you really want to play footy, but you, you kind of get to the age of 14 or so and you've, there's not really a pathway there anymore, and that was very much the case for me as well. So I um, I played down with Strathalbyn Football Club in the earlier years and, and then took another path down the soccer pathway and, and playing basketball and refereeing basketball. Um, and later I found out we could play open women's footy and I couldn't, couldn't get down there quick enough, to be honest. Um, so that was a really exciting stage and obviously at that stage women's football was still quite raw um, and there weren't too many teams in the competition so to sort of then go up to Queensland and, and play a bit of footy up there as well things started to blossom pretty quickly. I believe you're up in northern Queensland around the Cairns Townsville territory so how did you find the Queensland style of footy compared to SA? There's some quick people up there. Um, so I lived in Townsville and I, I travelled up to Cairns every weekend um, to play in the 
in the league up there with the North Cairns Tigers. Um, I think up there you, you've got a, a lot of young Indigenous people that want to play footy and I think that was the best thing for me was watching them grow and just take off at their elite pace and, and just develop their skills. So I think uh, the game's quite quite quick paced up there um, and yeah, it's just it's pretty electric. Does that help with your decision making and growing as a player, having to react faster? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I sustained a pretty serious injury in 2012 and, and sort of after that decided that, that I was going to go back to footy and, and learn the basics properly and definitely being around those girls, um, trying to catch them, you know, major, major, make decisions, I think, a little bit quicker and a little bit smarter as well. You, you've kind of got to, rather than trying to catch them, you've got to shut them down before they even get to that situation. So it definitely changed the way that I play footy, that's for sure. And then a few years later, about 2015, you ended up back in uh, Adelaide. Um, what led you to the West Adelaide Football Club in the Sawful? Uh, there was a couple of girls that I played footy with in 2008 and 2009. Um, I'd stayed pretty close with them. Um, Emily Woods, Cass Hartley, uh, Daniel Cress. They were they were with the Eagles when we were down there, so... Um, yeah, it sort of was a no-brainer for me to come back and, and sort of team up with them again and, and play some footy with some pretty good mates. Is it a little bit weird in a way that um, playing against West Adelaide, um, particularly coming up uh, for this weekend, considering you play for West Adelaide in the Sawfield, but how the whole new mix-ups happened with the Sandfield, you're playing for Norwood against West Adelaide? Yeah, look, uh, I think it's it's all just part and parcel of it, um, to be honest. It's going to be a little bit weird not uh, not having the black and red on, that's for sure, but um, just having the opportunity to play football at this level, I think uh, we're all just sort of really embracing that one and, and just playing for our club, playing our guts out for the club, and, and that's what really comes down to at this point in time. Were you one of the players that uh, threw the hat in the ring for the draft? Um, I'm, probably there was a few of us which, you know, we kind of... You we were going to get split up, obviously. You, you want to spread that talent around to every team. You don't want to have a one-sided competition. So, look, to be honest, I, I didn't really know much about it. I, I just sort of got told that that was where I was going and I was more than happy to, to take you know take on for the team if that's it. But um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really stoked to be here at Norwood and, and what they're providing and, and helping us with is absolutely fantastic. Do you remember the moment they announced you as captain? I do actually. I um, I finished up training with the with the Adelaide Footy Club in, in the top up squad there, and I whizzed over here because I always like to to get over to the end of the girls' trainings and, and still be a part of it all. And I sort of uh, ran out of the tunnel here at the parade, and a couple of girls just jumped on me before uh, Steve even had the chance to to tell me. So kind of at that moment, I knew. But uh, yeah, I was just absolutely wrapped, and it's a moment that will stick with me forever. That's for sure. Before we talk about the the crowd at the parade um, that was on Friday night. Can you give us an insight to a, a typical Sawfield crowd during the regular season? Um, I guess you've probably got your diehard fans, which are, are your friends and your family, which come out week in, week out and support you. But, um, you know, that sometimes rain, hail or shine, you might get different crowds depending on what the weather's doing. So um, the Sawfield, I think it's growing and, and our grand final last year, obviously there was a, a lot of girls that came out and a lot of families and, and younger families that came out to help support us. So I think it's growing each year and, and the support of women's footy is obviously getting bigger. So hopefully over time it'll, it'll grow, but yeah, definitely at the Sawfield level it was, uh, it's nothing like it was on Friday night. Does it hit you straight away when you come out of the tunnel? Are you focused on the game or do you notice it as you step out into the ground and you see this is a larger than crowd than you're used to playing in front of? Does it does it hit you straight away? 
Yeah, it did on Friday night, um, sort of running out of the tunnel here at the parade, you know, people are cheering you and, and the song's going on in the background and, you know, it's, it was a bit of a bizarre moment because it's not something that we're obviously used to. So taking all that in and, and then having the ability to, to switch on and perform straight away at the first bounce is always a little bit tough for your first game um, in that sort of uh, environment and atmosphere. But the girls do really well and, and, yeah, it definitely does hit you and you get a really good vibe about it as well. And it's a bit of extra duty, isn't it, on you as captain where you've got to take the lead and try and calm the girls down, particularly some of those that are looking nervous to try and get them focused and in the game. Yeah, I think so. I think it comes just down to experience and trying not to get them so hyped up at the start of the game as well before you head out to the change room. Um, you know, just sort of getting them ready and calm. There's, yeah, we tried to do a few different things where they weren't completely up and about as soon as they came out of the tunnel um, as we knew that there was going to be some pretty big emotions as soon as we hit the ground. So it is a bit tough sometimes keeping them uh, a little bit calm and making sure they don't peak too early, but the girls did a really great job and, and switched on pretty quickly. Talking about emotions, what was your like when uh, you got your first goal on the board for Norwood? Yeah, that doesn't happen often, uh, me kicking goals, so I'll take that one any time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think the emotion which sort of came out of me um, at that point pretty much sums it up. It, it was just, you know, everything was put into that one, just the love for the footy club that Norwood have given us and the fact that, you know, that was a, a pretty big goal for us as a, as a club first game and uh, and obviously for me I don't get too many of those so I was just really happy and, and the girls I said to them you know any girls scored let's get around and celebrate and make sure that we really really enjoy it. Now out of the night as much it was a, a great victory for you about 40 points uh, over North Adelaide unfortunately um, uh, one bad news I believe um, Demi Sonneman um, uh, injured her knee and uh, has done an ACL. She has and you know it's really disappointing for Demi she's come through the system and um, she was looking at some pretty good tune as well. Um, so, you know, we we sort of, our hearts broke a little bit when when Demi broke the news to us. But, um, you know, as the Norwood girls do, they get around her and, and we'll support her through the process and the recovery. And, and we just can't wait to get her back out into the red, the red and blue. Let's focus on the, the weeks coming ahead because it's only a 14 competition. You'll actually play each other twice in a round-robin series. You've played North Adelaide. You've seen them. You've got West Adelaide coming up, uh, which had a loss uh, on Friday night. And then not too far away, you've got that uh, big one coming up against uh, Glenelg. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, our first focus is West Adelaide, obviously, this weekend. And, um, you know, the coaching staff and, and myself and I'm sure a few of the other girls uh, they've all watched the game from the weekend and, and saw a few patterns and just how hard-hitting West Adelaide are. So, you know, I think we need to come out early, really switched on. Uh, the hype of the first week is, is now over, so we really need to focus on this week and, um, you know, just going in there and, and getting the footy first. I think it's proven vital for women's footy is just getting that football first and, and then executing with it once you've got it. Talking about hype, I know you definitely want to focus on this week, but looking ahead to the week after, which I think you're back at the parade when you take on Glenelg. How's this for a Saturday? You said it will be a triple header because it backs on to the Crows versus Lions game. So you could have a potential uh, two 2-0 sides, yourselves and Glenelg facing off, immediately followed by possibly two 4-0 sides being the Crows and the Lions in the AFLW match. It's, uh, it's going to be a massive afternoon of footy, I think. It's a bit exciting. Um, look, I think for us, you know, yeah, we are focusing for this week, but the girls have been having a bit of a chatter about that and the week heading into that. So, yeah, that's another really big week for us and, and we've just got to kind of keep ourselves level-headed and, and go ahead, 
um, about our football and, and just make sure that we stick to our game plan and not get too caught up in it. Because you've started um, two weeks after the AFLW season, has that been used at all in your training session with the coaches? Have they been taking, say, vision from the AFLW games and looking at it, analysing and suggesting uh, ways that you can incorporate that into your game plan? Um, not so much. I, we haven't taken any footage or anything else like that. Um, but I think, obviously, you talk about particular points in games and whether girls have watched it over the weekend, but the general consensus for us is we've got a game plan that Steve-O's trying to put us to and, and we're all 100% on board with that. So, um, yeah, there's a couple of things out of the, the games on the weekend which we pick up and we chat about at the start of training. But, um, you know, to be honest, we, we're 100% focused on what Steve wants us to do and, and we're embracing that game plan and just taking that. Now, of course, you mentioned with the Adelaide Train On program, some uh, women have been uh, training with the Crows and taking part in some scratch matches as well, particularly before the AFLW season. Uh, if you, you weren't lucky enough to get onto the Crows list. Have they spoken to you yet about uh, what they would like to see improvement from you to possibly have the opportunity in 2018? Yeah, look, um, Beck's been really good and, and given me a few pointers and a few tips in which I need to improve my game. And, and, and I guess every coach, you know, wants to see the best out of you. So I've taken those ones on board. And for me, it, it's just fantastic to still be around the girls. And, you know, any way I can possibly help out there on the track, whether it's, you know, defensively helping them out or, or whether it's pushing them to the absolute limits um, or just giving them a high five at the end of training, it's, it's something that, you know, I've really embraced and, and I've loved being around the group. And, I'm, I'm growing as a player um, each and every day as well. So from a personal aspect, uh, I'm just loving you know being a part of it with them as well. Rebecca, thank you very much for your time and we wish you all the very best uh, this Saturday night, in fact, for the Sandfell Women's Doubleheader Round 2 uh, where, of course, uh, your Norwood uh, take on West Adelaide and the other game between uh, Glenelg and North Adelaide. Uh, both of those games being streamed live from 6pm Adelaide time. Uh, just go to the Sandfell website, sandfell.com.au to enjoy the live stream of those two games uh, back-to-back being played at City Mazda Stadium in West Adelaide. Now, you may recall last week we were speaking to Sidiri Chadru from the Fijian women's team as we try to focus on what's happening with footy in the South Pacific. I've now actually got on the line the AFL development manager for the South Pacific region in Ben Drew to talk about the South Pacific football, but more specifically PNG, Papua New Guinea, where their women's side took part in International Cup 2011. They didn't participate in 2014, but there's hopes that they'll be back for the 2017 International Cup kicking off in August 5th in Melbourne. Uh, ben, thank you very much for joining us on the line. So what is the current state of women's football in Papua New Guinea? How's it developing? Yes, so we have quite a few women playing from girls all the way right through to women in PNG. We had 38.1% last year of our participation, which was female. And there's a really strong focus on girls playing our game and we're really pushing, pushing those barriers along with all the other codes in PNG as well. Um, as you would have known, the Flames weren't there in 2014, but they certainly were in 11, and they are absolutely in training now at the High Performance Centre, and they're getting ready and gearing up for IC17. Uh, where are you seeing the biggest growth in female football in PNG? Is it coming from the youth girls level or from senior level, and say, for example, women swapping over from rugby? Oh, look, it's coming from everywhere. I mean, it, uh, while every sport's trying really hard to make an inclusive place for, for females to play and it comes back to facilities and all the, all the really nice areas you have and have been able to accommodate girls playing as well and 
but the, the girls are coming from everywhere. There, there's lots of young girls playing in our new kick programs, which is our Auskick in PNG, but then our school competition uh, in each region of the country is very strong and we're very focused on having under 13 and under 15 girls playing in our school competitions and having an under 17 girls team as well. So every age group, the boys are in, the girls are in as well with their own competition. With the women's football there in PNG, is it predominantly based out of Port Moresby or are there regional pockets where the game is being played? Uh, the game's played everywhere. Uh, we were around uh, seven provinces of PNG, or seven areas of PNG. We have a senior leagues in Moresby and Lay for women, and then we have school uh, school competitions for our youth in uh, Port Moresby, in Karama, in Lay, in Hargan, in Kavian, and Kippy, and will be published here. And how's it been trying to uh, get the squad together that is going to form the PNG women that will play in IC17? Well, we're still, we're, the PNG games have been pushed back to November. They've been delayed 12 months. There's been a monsoon rain in, in Western Britain where they were to play the games. But what we've done is we've moved, uh, we're setting a plan for our staff and our coaches two or three of our guys to go around the country and actually see and watch all the regions play. Um, they're going to get to six provinces and have men's games and women's games, which will then help select both squads, which will then be cut down to the final teams that do travel in August. And what is the plan to prepare as a team um, when we get to around August? I know, for example, the uh, Americans, the Europeans, uh, even I think the Fijians are all looking to try and arrive a week early. Some are even trying to tee up a practice match. Is that the same plan for PNG? Look, that's up to the mosquitoes and the flame staff to, to work out what they want to do. But I would think that we're, they're looking at playing a game before they get down to Melbourne and whether it's against another Pacific Island that are flying through Brisbane or Sydney at the same time. Most of the islands come through Brisbane before they head to Melbourne. And the Fijians are working very hard, so they'll go probably fly through Sydney or go to Melbourne direct and get down a little bit early. But certainly both the men and the women in PNG will be looking at playing some sort of match in the lead-up, whether it's in PNG or, or, or in Australia when they get down. And I believe as well there's a fairly close relationship between AFL Queensland and AFL PNG. I think last year, if I'm correct, there was a youth girl side from PNG that played some of the uh, regional leagues throughout Queensland. Yes, there was. We had the 17 youth girls championships in Queensland and we had our PNG curriculums come down for the first time in three years, which was very exciting. We, the girls were fantastic and had an absolute ball down there and we've already started planning to have them back in October. And this year we're also bringing down the other 14 current cups we can play in the other 14 girls state uh, development championships and they'll be in September school holidays at Bridgeshaw uh, alongside the under 14 Queensland boys in the state champs. So we'll have, a, we'll have 50 PNG kids 14 years old in, uh, at Bridgeshaw playing in the girls and the boys in the 14 champs in September. And I guess the ultimate aim uh, for PNG is not obviously wanting to take out the IC17 title, but fingers crossed that it'll be 2018, 2019, hopefully at some stage in the near future, a PNG female footballer could be recruited into AFLW. Oh, look, we'd 
love to see that. I'm sure there's every every female around the world that's playing in competitions from Europe to Asia to America to where we are in the Pacific. They're, they're working very hard. It's a very viable pathway for the girls now, and it's a very exciting one. And we certainly, <clears throat> we certainly love to see a young PNG girl get down to Australia and play in the competition. And, whether it's a Papua New Guinea or a Fijian or, or an event from Vanuatu, and we just love to see any of our girls um, get an opportunity, and the boys for that matter as well. They're working just as hard as the girls are. We spoke to last week, Satiri, the uh, captain of the Fijian women's team, and uh, she spoke of how the gra- game was progressing there in Fiji. Um, how's it been like, for example, for Tonga, who played in IC14? Uh, do we hope to see a return for them? And how's it been in, I'd say, smaller areas such as the Solomon Islands? Nauru, you mentioned Vatuatu. How's the game taking on there? The, the game is, is very strong in the Pacific. We've got, obviously, PNG. Uh, leading the way to your pure population, but the uh, AFLPG Sateri does a magnificent job. She's also the development coordinator for AFLPG and, and runs all the development programs there. And they've got a really strong board and committee, and they're really pushing forward there. Uh, the Vanuatu team, led by Nancy, another young another young lady who is their development coordinator, and she coordinates all the programs in Vanuatu. Tonga. Tonga are not going too bad. They're doing a lot of training. They're, they're working very hard. And they're coming off a different, a different um, base than everybody else. Nauru obviously love their football, and you know, 30%, 35% of the population play our game. It's their national sport, so they absolutely love football. The big challenge for Nauru is how do we engage the girls more in country? And they're working very hard. Matthew and his team working very hard at making sure that it's a priority for them. And, then we have the Solomons who are just absolutely moving forward at a rate of jobs. They are Daniel, uh, David Hollow, the development officer. They've just hired Jane Adessa, this a, a young lady there who's now their female development officer. And we've got an Australian volunteer over there, Dan, who's doing some terrific stuff there. And they're working very hard. And their numbers are growing and there's a lot more girls playing. So we're very strong with both boys and girls around the Pacific in the six countries that we're in. And Obviously, as we as we keep going, our international cup year and Ocean the Cup with the number fifteen boys in December, really working hard on the girls and growing the game for girls. As we spoke to the Americans and the Europeans, they've been talking about how they've been loving to be able to tune in to watch AFL.com and see the uh, women's matches in AFLW being played. Obviously, in the South Pacific, a lot more friendly time zone. Have you been able to use that as a selling tool, not just AFLW, but actually the online streaming and being able to show women or possible recruits, this is the game, this is it now being played at the national level? And the, and, the, and the availability of getting online content is not as is not as easy as it is in that was you know in the um, a word the uh, non-developing countries you know in Europe and Asia where internet is just everyday life whereas in the Pacific internet is not everyday life and not everybody has a connection and um, and you know, having it on free to air is something that you know we. We work really hard to provide opportunities for them to watch. I know Dan in the Solomons here when we play at the Arthur Grand Final, played it in the local cinema so all the boys could watch the game. And all the girls came down and there was hundreds in the room watching at the local cinema. So, we're, it's, 
not so much the online content. It, it, there's a lot of buffering and not everyone's got the ability to watch it, but certainly as much content as we can get, whether it's putting it on for the boys and the girls, yeah, whether it's organising where they can do it, it, it does, um, the more we can watch it, the better. But certainly it is a challenge getting it to the Pacific. Uh, one thing recently I was chatting to um, Laura Turner from uh, Nottingham um, uh, up in the UK. They were looking to find an Australian club to be a sister club of. Is that something that's uh, trying to happen in the uh, Pacific area for these uh, uh, smaller clubs to try and find a partner club for a cultural exchange, coaching exchange, whatever it might be with Australian-based teams? We do work on those things and we've had players in the past go down and play in different clubs around Australia, from country Victoria up to Queensland. As you mentioned earlier, we have a strong connection through the Pacific with the AFL Queensland team, and I base myself out of their office in Yeronga and, and make my way around the Pacific a lot. And the AFL Queensland team have been a, a driving force in, in really assisting and, and providing a lot of support, not only the PNG, but the whole Pacific. We had a Pacific training program for our staff, which then based out of Brisbane, the Queensland team helped facilitate that and then our staff went spent a week and a half working with job sharing and shadowing development staff within Queensland. So and then from that they've been able to go back home and then have a connection to different people to provide even more support, resources, uh, online resources and uh, books and training programs. And that's been able to help the guys in the Pacific then go and train their teams, organise their teams and have a lot more ideas and a lot more support in bringing them down. And then on the other side of that will be connections to local football clubs and connections to the community in Australia between the Pacific and, and other clubs. And I guess following on from that, well, not just PNG, but I guess for Fiji and, and Tonga who are heading to IC17, will they be reaching out to Australians to look for volunteers to help the team while they're out here? And when I say help, that's not even in coaching. That's just in the simple things of running water, etc., to be able to just make things easier for teams on match days. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a strong, there's strong Tongan community in, in, in Australia. There's a strong Fiji community, certainly in Melbourne. And I know there's a big PG community in Melbourne as well. So that and any help is good help. How big or small it is, it doesn't matter. It, it takes a you know, it takes a lot of people, a lot of time, and a lot of effort to get these guys here. And but when you think of the the money they raise and the work that they put in to get there, I mean, some of the countries they need to raise two to three local dollars to get one Australian dollar, and it's a massive expense to send a team or a group down to accommodate to see and then all those things as well. So any, any assistance out there for the guys, uh, that would be absolutely most welcome, whether it's as simple as running some water or, or coming down on match day and, and, you know, you might be an expert coach and you, I don't know you'll lend your services, but each, each committee and board are going through the process at the moment of making sure they've got proper coaches, training programs and then fundraising and, and all those efforts as well. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. Uh, we wish you all the very best in your endeavours throughout the South Pacific as you try and grow the female game of Aussie Rules football. No worries. Thanks for having me.
Earlier in the week, the AFL announced the Round 3 NAB Rising Star nominations, being Erin McKinnon from the GWS Giants and Ashley Sharp from the Fremantle Dockers. First of all, we're going to hear from Erin McKinnon, who had two disposals for the game, three tackles, but an astonishing 31 hitouts. Not a bad effort for the youngest player in the AFL women's competition, and by fact, she's also the tallest player in the AFL women's competition. Here she is speaking about the honour of receiving the nomination and the challenges her and her team faces in the remaining four rounds. Massive surprise, didn't expect to get that, um, but yeah, it's a huge honour. Like There are some amazing girls um, who have been nominated, and to be considered to be up there competing with them, it's really exciting, yeah. We were gathered for a sort of um, impromptu team meeting before training. Um, and so, yeah, we were, all the girls were all sitting around and then Tim came in and then all the staff came in and a few cameras were brought in. So we were all a bit confused and, um, yeah, Tim announced it, which was really exciting. The girls were really excited for me and so it was really great to be able to share that with the team. Oh, it's been awesome. Um, definitely very competitive. It's really great to see how the teams are all really close. There's no massive... Um, standouts, Adelaide, but um, yeah, so it's, the competition's really close and it's been um, no animosity between any of the girls, like it's a very sort of friendly competition still quite physical, but it's just yeah, it's amazing to be able to play at such a high level something I never thought that I'd ever do Nomination's great, but I've still got lots of improvement to do, lots of um, things to take away from that game against Frio, and um, yeah so the next step of improving for our team is obviously the win against Brisbane, unfortunately for them but um, yeah, it'll be really good to get, go out to Brisbane, we played them in the practice match and hopefully we'll turn the tables this time that audio courtesy of Giants TV. And here's the other NAB Rising Star nominee for the week, Ashley Sharp from the Fremantle Dockers, as she talked to the press outside the Fremantle training facility at Cockburn in WA. Thanks to the AFL for noticing my game. Um, the first two games were kind of average. Um, yeah, so I'm finally getting confidence back and belief in myself to play. From our first game to the game we've played now, um, we've progressed a lot. Um, we have lots of stuff to work on still, but yeah, we're playing fantastic as a team. It's been um, tough um, coming from club level up to the AFL um, is a big transition um, but yeah it's I've been getting really confident lately and believing in myself um, and same as all the other girls in the team. Hopefully to get a win will be fantastic um, but yeah we're each week we're getting better and better um, and hopefully yeah like as as I said to get a win. Just our basic skills yeah ball movement um, we haven't been elite in that area yet um, so hopefully this week will be um, a lot better and hopefully get the win yeah. Ashley Sharp there of the Fremantle Dockers. Now it's time to look ahead to AFLW Round 4. More great footy on the way and it kicks off on Saturday 11.35am Casey Fields Cranbourne cutthroat game between Melbourne and Carlton. Both sides sitting at 2 and 1. A win for either team puts them in with a chance of hopefully making the grand final a loss and they're skating on thin ice. A quick reminder as well, because it's a double-header to a JLT Community Series game, you will need to purchase a ticket to be able to get in and watch that game, which is a curtain raiser to the men's match. I have on the line now a new contributor to the girlsplayfooty.com website, Shelby Holmberg. Shelby, thank you very much for joining us. Let's have a look at this Melbourne-Carlton game Wow, super critical in the context of this very short seven-round season. Most definitely is a crucial game there, Pete. Unfortunately for Carlton, Bree Davy is out. Uh, a big blow, as I'm sure you're all aware of, and she will be missed, especially as she reads the play so well. 
and she isn't afraid to get involved in the contest. That's a big blow for Carlton. Hey, and Sarah Last as well, I've heard, unfortunately, he's done her ACL, so that wipes her out of the Carlton season and throughout the year as well, so she won't be playing for the Bendigo Thunder. I guess the question comes down to, with Carlton, who are they going to be needing to step up to obviously fill the vacancies of Last and uh, the, the biggest out of all, Davey? So my key player, Darcy Zezio, will stand up as to be expected, and I'm sure she won't even hesitate. She has a strong, powerful overhead mark. She'll just provide leadership all over the ground, I'm sure. And I think Sarah Hosking, I've picked her to really stand up. Well, they've got a difficult job ahead of them because the uh, Melbourne midfielders last week continue to rack up possessions. Yes, Daisy Pearce, once again, ended uh, a great game, ended with 26 disposals with the win over the Bulldogs. Joining her in the midfield should be Karen Patson, who was her priority pick also. So some great stats for her include being third overall in the league for average disposals and fifth for total clearances. And just adding to that are Aliso Day, and it's very impressive, and I'm sure everyone's looking forward to watching them against the Blues. Well, who's your tip for this one? Melbourne and the Blues. One team is going to have their um, season on track to try and sneak into the grand final. The others, it could be on thin ice. Who wins, Demons or the Blues? Demons. A key stat I think we need to also point out was that the Demons had 223 disposals as a team against the Bulldogs, which has been the most all year for a team in the AFL. Well, certainly getting a lot of the footy. Let's move ahead to South Pine Sports Complex. 3.35pm local time, 4.30pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Uh, The Lions and the GWS Giants. Um, The Giants, well, you can technically say they're winless after their draw against Fremantle last week. And the Lions keep on keeping on 3-0, sitting, I believe, second on the table at the moment. Yes, yes. So when I first got really passionate about AFL as a kid, Pete, I was about six or seven, and that's when the Brisbane Lions were in their heyday in the early 2000s. And that's what I've been reminded to now, just those constant flashbacks. And I guess being based in Melbourne, I didn't know too much about the Lions heading into this season, but they just put on a fantastic show. And once again, I expected to happen against the Giants. That strong mark, I'm sure you've seen Sabrina, or the calling has stabbed. She provides a target, and she just takes control for the Lions. Um, she also has a long and accurate kick, making her a great forward. Um, I'm sure Freya rec- wish they recruited her, considering she's from WA. Adding um, Kate McCarthy, she scored a fantastic goal, took five bounces in it, and her speed ability to outrun the opposition should be really powerful this week uh, for the Lions. Indeed, as they take on GWS, who uh, do have one of their own uh, marquees back in Emma Swanson. She got the most disposals for them last week. Boy, she was a welcome return. She most certainly was, most certainly was. Put her with our number one draft pick, Nicole Barr. Um, fantastic to watch. They both read the play so well, and despite uh, it wasn't a win, they just helped get that draw. Nicole Barr, for example, just read the play so well against Rio. Defensive lap, and then she was to pop the ball over the top to a free Ellie Bush, uh, which resulted in a goal. Another confidence booster I think the Giants will take into this weekend's match was uh, the young giant Aaron McKinnon received a NAB AFL Women's Rising Star nomination as a result of her efforts in round three. 
And McKinnon, of course, is the youngest uh, player on any AFLW list as well. So terrific effort from her. But I guess for the Giants, it's going to be a difficult task, not only because Brisbane are 3-0. and They did play uh, about a month ago in a practice game, the Lions and the Giants at Corporu. And uh, on that day, with a bit of rain coming down, uh, it was a handy Lions win. Yes, I'm sure they're hoping it goes the other way this weekend, but I'm going to tip Brisbane, uh, Brisbane at home, and just their great, strong start they've had this season. It's going to be very hard for the Giants to get ahead. Witten Oval, Saturday night football, live on 7 across the nation with a 7.10pm bounce down. The Western Bulldogs and Collingwood. For the Bulldogs, it's the last chance saloon. If they lose this one, then they really are out of it of any chance of making the grand final. They must win, and they must win big against the Pies, where just nothing seems to be going right for them a lot, including some of the captains tipped them to win the flag, but there they are, sitting in last position. I know it's been very unlucky for the Pies, Really talked up, so much uh, media attention placed on them, and then they're sitting at the bottom of the ladder. I'm no mathematician, but I read today there's still a chance they can make the finals. They just have to win all four remaining matches, and they just need Adelaide or the Lions to lose all of their games. Highly unlikely, and I highly doubt it. But hopefully they can get a win in there someday, and Mo Hope can just have that day out she had like on the final exhibition match in 2016. Well, I guess one of the most frustrating things, though, for the Pies is they've got that key ruckman in Emma King, and the stats show that she's been dominating the hitouts, but they're just not getting any reward for her effort. None. None at all. That's very disappointing. For the Bulldogs, again, 51 disposals between uh, Ali Blackburn and Emma Carney uh, last Saturday night in their loss to Melbourne. So the midfield getting plenty of the football, nothing going right up forward, particularly when they were missing Katie Brennan and a race against time to have KB fit for this week. Yeah, it was really obvious where they missed uh, KB. Uh, Zero marks inside 50 against Melbourne last week. What's really, really a bad stack to have shows where they went wrong against Melbourne. I'm sure they'll be doing lots of work if that in training. Um, a real weak spot. And I'm sure the Bulldogs have seen... Uh, not the Bulldogs, sorry. Collingwood have seen that as a weakness and might look to build on that and hopefully get their first win. Let's quickly get your tip on the game between the Bulldogs and the Pies. I'm tipping the Bulldogs. And finally, we've got our Soul Sunday game. It is a Sunday twilight game, uh, 4.05pm uh, over in WA at Fremantle Oval. Uh, it will be live on Channel 7 in Adelaide, 7 mate in Perth, 7pm uh, Eastern Standard Time, live on Fox uh, footy across uh, the remainder of the country. Uh, Frio and the Crows, the Crows just simply unbeatable at the moment. Unbeatable, and no one predicted that. I'd never even heard of Sarah Perkins, and she's everywhere. Um, but let's hope Freo have the right jumpers for a start this week, Pete. Well, that was embarrassing, and they've been actually whacked uh, $10,000 with 5000 of that suspended for... Uh, this is going to make... This is strange how it sounds. They got fined for wearing their away jumper at an away game because they're not supposed to wear their away jumper. They were supposed to wear their home jumper at an away game. I hope you could keep up with that. Yeah. Um, yeah very hard to watch and just very unfortunate and not what they needed in their season. Um, they've already lost Brianna Green, I had the pleasure of talking to her post-match in the final Melbourne versus uh, Western Bulldogs exhibition match in 2016. And she just spoke with so much passion for the game. And it's so sad to see her on the sideline. And just adding to the injury list for Freo Pete is Tia Haynes, the dislocated shoulder. I'm unsure if they made her call um, if she'll be back. 
for the rest of the season, but fingers crossed. She's had a very uh, bad run with injuries, Tia Haynes. A um, couple of ACL injuries, which have really set her back since she was originally the number one draft pick for the 2014 um, exhibition game. So let's just hope it's temporary and that she'll be back out there uh, sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed, but I'm predicting just a very hard match against top of the ladder Adelaide. Aaron Phillips, uh, week in, week out, produces great, great stuff. Uh, a winning goal in last week's match. Um and what I like about her is that she'll be uh, able to continue to grow the AFL in general on an international level when she returns back to the USA for her WNBA commitment. I was going to say, I'll be one of those to go on the record that I have to admit, I was a doubter of Erin Phillips when um, she hadn't played footy since her junior days. And I thought, well, you know, when you think about 15, 16 year gap, a lot has changed in the way Aussie rules has been played in that time. And um, she's just fitted in perfectly and just gone literally to the top of the class. And uh, that goal that she uh, kicked to put the Crows in front was simply sensational. Um, She is a true leader out there. She is a true, genuine star of the code. She really is. It's like she didn't have 15 or 16 years away. And like for many people, we really doubted the way Adelaide were training. Half the team based up in the Northern Territory, half down in Adelaide. And then it just came together so wonderfully as a team. Um, despite not even being based in the same state. We can't be talking about Adelaide without talking about Sarah Perkins or Tex, as I've eventually called her. Um, she's great at tackling, great at creating the play and reading the play. I really think the Victorian clubs are wishing they recruited her. Well, indeed, because um, they all passed on her in the Victorian draft. Her brother called around several clubs and was Adelaide that took her. She kicked more than 50 goals in last year's VFL women's season for the Eastern Devils. And I think the one thing that's catching everyone's eye against against um, her, against Mo Hope, but to be fair, Mo's been triple teamed as opposed to uh, Sarah, who hasn't. Um, Perko's doing some great second or third efforts. And even like last week, if she didn't kick a goal, she's making great impact in every contest. Yes, she really is. She'll be on the ground looking to get that handball out, open play to get the uh, get the goal, get the kick in like she did last week. And it's just yeah, just one of the greatest stories from the league or the season so far. Another great story as well is the young 19-year-old Ebony Marinoff uh, for the Adelaide Crows. She was one of the earlier uh, rising stars. And uh, she's just been consistently in the best players, in the top disposal getters for the Adelaide Crows. And you said she was 19. That's just so young. Her best years are definitely ahead of her, which is so exciting for the AFLW in general. Indeed it is. Adelaide and uh, the Fremantle Dockers doing battle at Fremantle Oval on Sunday. Who is your tip? My tip is Adelaide. Who was yours, Peter? I am going to go with the Crows. And you know what that sets up? I I know we're looking a little early ahead to round five. That's if everything goes to plan. But if both the Lions and the Crows win this week, that sets up a massive day in South Australia the following weekend where, believe it or not, it's a triple header at um, Norwood's Cooper's Stadium, otherwise known as the Parade, which can hold about 22,000, I'm told. Um, that day was already planned in advance, where there'd be two Sanford women's games uh, leading into the AFL women's match. Um, and the two Sanford women's game, if things go to plan, will be the two teams that haven't won a game will be playing each other, so someone will have their first win. The two Sanford women's sides, if everything goes to plan, that have both uh, won every game, would be playing each other. 
and then immediately following on Saturday night, live on seven across the nation, it would be the Adelaide Crows and Brisbane Lions, first versus second, both undefeated. What a day. I'm sure it'll be watched by everyone. Crowds will be packed. Just something we could not have predicted at the start of the season, especially being two interstate teams. Everyone was kind of a lot of pressure on these big Victorian cops, but the interstate teams just shown us that it's just a really loved game. And the great thing about that, if it turns out to be both undefeated at that stage, uh, that Crows-Lions game, that could really make the judgment on, because the AFL have said, the team that finishes on top, they will get a home grand final. That could be the game that decides who gets the granny. really could be. Imagine a grand final for Premiership points played outside of Melbourne, not at the MCG. Shelby, thank you very much for joining us on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast and we look forward to more of your contributions throughout season 2017. I'm Peter Holton. Just about time for me to get on out of here. Thanks again for all your support by simply listening to this podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Girls Play Footy or tune into the radio version of this program by simply uh, tuning into RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne, Wednesday evenings, around about 6, 6.15pm, and it goes for an hour. Until next time, you've been listening to the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, and it's bye for now.